at a family birthday this weekend, or this week, Tuesday night, and, and a family member of mine, my uncle, was, was celebrating a birthday, and so we were there, and we were at a family restaurant, and it's a restaurant that's been run by the same family for generations upon generations, and um, it's, it's just a great place to eat, and my uncle knows the, the staff that works there, and so he got up at one point and went back to the kitchen and was talking to the people that were there. And, and a guy in his mid-50s is operating the, the fryers that are cooking all of this fried chicken. And there's just insane amounts of fried chicken being cooked. And he's got this elaborate system that he's working out. And, and he does this like every day for who knows how long. And, and he does the exact same thing with every single batch. And one of the things that he does that my uncle noticed is that when he pulls a basket up, he takes a big fork and he pokes every single piece of chicken that he has fried. And my uncle thought, that, that's interesting. Why? He said, hey, man, why do you do that? And the guy, without thinking, just looked at him and said, well, that's the way Grandpa did it. No, no further explanation, like no thought as to why. Like, it had never crossed this guy's mind, why do we do that? And there's no reason to question, right? Like, things are going well. It's a good system. And so if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But... Like, like, really, there was no thought as to, like, well, actually, what it does is this. Or maybe the grandpa did this, but then, like, I went back and I found out that this is actually why he did it. No, no, no. Like, just without thought, like, well, that's why grandpa did it, obviously. And, and I, I found that so funny because I think there are a lot of things that we actually do that exact same thing with. And a lot of things with, with God, with our faith, particularly with the Holy Spirit, that we just have this sort of like, well, that's what grandpa did, theology, right? We, we've not really examined things for ourselves. We've just sort of gone on what somebody has told us at some point. And I think it's really, really important for us, especially as we look at the Holy Spirit, to ask ourselves, what, why? Why do we think that? Why, why is that what grandpa has said? And so... I appreciate you guys sticking with us through this series on the Holy Spirit. And I have loved all of it. I know it has been incredibly stretching for some of you. It has been stretching because you have been, you've been forced to maybe look at a God who is more personal and fits way less in the box than you thought he did, right? The Holy Spirit is way more personal and real and active in our lives than maybe we're comfortable with. And maybe some weeks that you've been, you've been stretched to, to think about God differently because of the Holy Spirit, and maybe God is just as powerful as you thought he was, but maybe he's less conspicuous and sensational than you thought he was. And maybe that's been challenging. Maybe just talking about the Holy Spirit at church has been different. And so I, I appreciate you going with us, and I appreciate you being stretched, and I wanna ask you to be stretched again. Today we're gonna to look at a passage of scripture that talks about this, this phrase that can carry some baggage with people, right? This idea of being sealed in the spirit or sealed with the spirit. And that just sounds like mystical and, and cool, but what does it mean? And as we go into this, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture and talk about a topic that have all sorts of interpretations. And people have said all sorts of different things throughout history, and those things have been passed on, and so we've wound up with, like, that's the way the grandpa did it, sort of theology on stuff. And so I wanna invite you to do something a little bit crazy. I want you to forget what grandpa said. And as we go into this next, like, 25 minutes, let's just, 
Let's just forget what we've been told and let's read the Bible with fresh eyes, with fresh ears. Let's just pretend we don't know anything. Let's ask the Bible, what, what do you say? Let's ask God to reveal to us through his word, what, what are you trying to communicate here? What were you writing through a guy named Paul to a church in a specific time for a specific reason? What were you saying? Why did you say it? And then let's ask, what does that mean for us? Because a lot of times we do this backwards. We, we know what we've been told and then we read the Bible looking for that. But instead, let's read the Bible and ask the Bible, what does that mean for us? What does that tell us? And so as we go into this, I, I just wanna invite you to forget what you may have heard or may think going in. And let's read this with fresh eyes. We're gonna be in the book of Ephesians. And that's in the, the New Testament. And it, it's a real short book, six chapters. Um, and while you're getting there in your Bible, whether that's a, a paper Bible or a, an electronic one, we want you to have your Bible. Um, we, I, I think it's super important because growing up, I thought that preachers had really cool Bibles and I must have the boring version. Like, like he's got the NIV or the ESV or the NASB and I've got the boring version. Um, and so I, what I want you to see is your Bible is the exact same as what we talk about here every week. And I think it's important for you to see God's word is the same in your pocket as it is in mine. And, and so let's, let's go into the Bible together. Ephesians is a letter written by a guy named Paul who was an incredibly zealous Jewish man. He was raised to be a great Jewish man. He became one. He became a Pharisee, one of the, the religious leaders of his people. And he had a dramatic, miraculous conversion to following Jesus Christ. And he then became, went from being a zealous Jewish man to a zealous Jewish man who believed in Christ that we would later call Christians. And, and he became the most prolific church planner in the ancient world, and he wrote letters to churches all over the ancient Mediterranean world. One of those was in a city called Ephesus, and the people of Ephesus were the Ephesians. And so that's where we get the letter Ephesians. And while Paul grew up as a Jewish man, the Ephesians did not. Most of them were Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And so there were all sorts of things that Paul and other Jewish children were taught from day one about who God was and the story that he was writing with people and what our relationship with God looked like that the Ephesians, they just didn't know, right? They weren't born Jewish. And the fact is, is that we as a church are also a Gentile church. Most of us were born not Jewish. And even if we were raised in the church, there's a lot of us, we don't know the, the big story that most Jewish kids were told in the first century. We don't know the grand story of God from front to back the way that a lot of people like Paul would have. And so Paul writes a letter to this church. And in Ephesians 1 is where we're gonna start, verse three. And let's just dive in. Paul says to them, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He continues into verse 11. Um, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, there's a lot in there. We could do a few sermons on that passage. And, and depending on what circles you grew up in, how you were raised, um, there might be all sorts of things that stand out to you. And there's a whole bunch of rabbit trails that we could run down in that passage. But again, I want us to forget maybe what we've heard and let's read these words fresh. And let's ask, what is it that Paul was trying to say to the church in Ephesus? Why was he trying to say it? And then what does that mean for us? And I would say that as we look at this passage, there, there is one thing that seems to stand out to me above everything else. And we've got a slide that sort of highlights some of what I'm talking about there are some words that are a little bit bigger than others. In Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the one he loves, in him, in Christ, under Christ, in him, in Christ, in Christ. Think he's like trying to get a certain point across? In the six chapters of Ephesians, Paul says the phrase in Christ or in him 36 times. In the first 14 verses, he says it 12 times. He can't stop saying it. He says it over and over and over and over again. And so if we get nothing else from this passage, what do you think he's trying to tell us? It's about Jesus. What I want you to know, this is about Jesus. This is not about you. This is not about how certain things work. This is about Jesus. And so I want that to be the main thing that we focus on as we go through this. What is Paul trying to say? This is all about Jesus. Why was he trying to say that? And why did he use these words to say it? I'll tell you the backstory that Paul is telling the Ephesians. Because remember, he's a Jewish man writing to a bunch of non-Jewish people who don't know the story that Jewish children were told from the time they were born. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians to tell them a story. He's telling them the story that is the oldest story there is. It starts in the beginning, where God exists before anything was made, there was God, and God created. He created the heavens and the earth. He created mankind in his image. 
And he created us for perfection, for relationship with him. From the very beginning, his desire was to have relationship with us, not because he needed it, but because he wanted it with us. He wanted us to reflect his glory. He wanted us to be to the praise of his glory, as it said four times in there. That's the story that Paul is trying to remind them of. He created us for perfection. We had one rule, and we broke that rule. We screwed it up pretty bad. And so what our original command had been was go be fruitful, multiply, and work to cultivate this garden that I've placed you in. And we will grow together, and and you will work, and you will build. And, And the picture that we see at the end of Scripture is that a city is coming down from heaven where God resides with people in his city. We start with a garden, we end with a city. There is work that happens. Work is God's design. It is good, and he made us to do it. And we sort of screwed it up. And so our status with God changed. Physical and spiritual death enter the world, and we relate to him completely differently now. And while our status with him has changed, you know what didn't change? His heart. His plan and his desire, they didn't change. That picture we see at the end of a city of people who were fruitful, who multiplied, who worked and cultivated a garden, that's still his desire. We never changed that. We changed our standing with him, but we didn't change his heart. And so God would enter the story and he would find a people to call his own. It'd be called the nation of Israel. And God says to his people, you are to be holy like me. And when you are holy like me, everybody else is gonna notice. And we're not doing this so that you can be my favorites. We are doing this so that the world can be blessed and see who I am. And they can come to know me through you. And it will be good when the world sees what a holy people look like. Now, if you look in Ephesians 1, verse 4, you see Paul say something like, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Paul's telling them the story that maybe they didn't know. He's saying that that after this was declared that we were a people that God would continue to reveal himself to humanity and he would continue to act with humanity and he would call Israel his children. And he says that basically he will go at any length to be in relationship with his children so that he can be in relationship with the whole world. And time and time again, God's people fall short and they do not qualify for the label of children. Right, remember spiritual, physical death have entered the world. And so constantly they fall short. Yet God does not stop pursuing a relationship with them. At one point, God would would seek to rescue his people. Right, Egypt was a land of slavery for the Israeli people. At one point, Pharaoh held them in bondage and they cried out to God and God rescued them. And part of their rescue was that they were to be freed by the blood of a lamb. And God would lead them out of Egypt and he would rescue them from physical bondage, but they would find themselves over and over again still trapped in spiritual bondage. 
And so Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 5, that in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, right? That he has wanted us to be in his family. And then he continues in verse 7, um, he, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Paul's not just pulling this out of thin air, he's telling a story. God desired a holy people to be his children so that the world would know him and they consistently fell short, yet God is a rescuer who saves his people by the blood of the lamb. But it doesn't just stop there. What God begins to say through his prophets is that one day a rescuer will come. And while they consistently fall short as children, while they do not measure up to the standard of the Father, that he knows that and he will make a way. And that way will do something that no one else could do for them. And that one day this rescue would be made available not just for the people of Israel, for the children of Israel, but it will be made available to everyone. And all peoples will be able to come into relationship with him. And he goes beyond that and he paints an even more beautiful picture in which God will not just need to say, be holy like me anymore. He says, one day God's spirit, my very spirit will live in you. And we will be one and we will be united and God and man will be placed together. There's a rescuer who is going to come to do that and it will happen when all of God's plans come together in one beautiful moment. He's referred to as the Messiah, the King, the rescuer. Paul's been talking about this story and then he says in verse 10, He's talking about the will of God that will be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. See, what Paul says over and over and over throughout this story is this story is happening, but you know who's right in the middle of it? Jesus. This whole story, it's about Jesus. And all of these plans that were at work before the foundation of the world was laid, before God did anything, he knew this is the plan. This is what I am enacting, and it all hinges on this moment in which Jesus becomes the center of it all. And all of time beforehand, it was just waiting for that moment when Jesus would come to the scene. And now all of time moving forward is defined by Jesus. So what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with the Holy Spirit, right? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Right after this, Paul makes an important shift in the story that he's telling. Verses 13 and 14 say, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
he makes a shift. He's not just talking about Jesus anymore. Now he's talking about you. And he says, you, which is plural, meaning y'all, right? If there, were, if there were a translation of the Bible that had the word y'all in it, we could understand it so much better, I'm convinced, right? So just almost any time you read the word you in the Bible, just substitute y'all, okay? We're in Southern Indiana, so we can say that here. Um, but, but no, Paul is saying, listen, this is all about Jesus, but now you are in Jesus. And so this plan that's all about Jesus, now you are in this plan, and that was the design from the very beginning. If you have accepted Jesus, and you have accepted the rescuer who could do what no one else could do, because let's remember, Jesus died a death he did not deserve, that we deserved, so that we could have a life that we did not earn. Spiritual death entered the world with Adam, and Jesus is saying, new life has come, and it comes through me. And it has been made available to you. And what Paul is saying is that we know that that's true because he sent his spirit. And the spirit is the deposit that guarantees that what he said is true. It's the down payment, it's the earnest money that says, yeah, every promise of God is fulfilled. And while you've seen Jesus fulfill every plan that was made in the beginning, he is going to carry through the ultimate plan in which God and man are in perfect union together and heaven comes to earth. And we know that it's true because he sent his spirit. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been marked, you have been sealed, he's put a stamp on it that says he's part of the family now. And it happens by his authority and there's nobody else who gets to say no because there is no name that is greater than Jesus. And so Jesus says, I put my stamp on it, this is sealed, death has been brought to life. That is amazing. It is amazing. God has rescued us. He has raised us to new life. But what Paul is saying is that, that you think that's awesome. You've just gotten a taste. Because right now you get to see your individual life transformed by Jesus. You get to see things happen in new ways because you live as a part of his people. But there is still a day coming when everything will be made right. And all of the promises that God has made, they're going to come true. And you know this because every promise of God finds its answer, yes, in Jesus. And you are now in Jesus, and his spirit lives in you, and so you are a part of the plan to redeem all of this. The high point of our lives is not just when we say yes. That's the start when we get to find the beginning of every good thing that God has for us. It's when we get the deposit that tells us, I promise you the inheritance is coming. You picked a really, really good family to be adopted into. Paul would go on later in, in verses 18 through 21 and he would describe this and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open so that you would actually know that you would really understand the hope to which you have been called. 
I pray that you would know the riches of the glorious inheritance that's available to us in the saints. And I pray that you would know the power to us who believe. That power that has been made available to us is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that is able to conquer death, the power that raised Jesus and created new life in us, that power is now available to you. And that seems impossible and it seems too good to be true. And so I think what we've done is we've created all of these these weird systems and ideas and checklists that we need to check off in order for a power like that to be available to us. And so we've made this concept of being sealed with the Spirit way more complicated than it is. Everything that needs to be done has already been done by Jesus. When we say yes, he says you're in. And nobody else gets to change it. And my Spirit is alive in you, and you just wait to see what's gonna happen. There is a power available to those who believe in Jesus that the world doesn't know what to do with, that we have no idea what it is capable of. And I would venture to say, because I'm in this camp too, you may have the Spirit of God living inside of you, but you have never asked him to be the Spirit of God at work in your life. And being sealed with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit is a completely different thing, and we're gonna unpack that over the next few weeks, and I'm so excited. But, but I wanna stress what Paul is saying here. If we just look at this, we look at the words that are actually said and why he's saying these words to these people If you believe in Jesus, his Holy Spirit is in you and available to you. And there is no magic set of words that you need to do. There's no dance that you need to perform. There's no incantation you need to speak. There's no no hoops to jump through. It is that. The nature of Jesus is not hoops to jump through. The nature of Jesus is grace. Everything that needs to be done, you're not capable of doing it on your own. I've done it for you. You say, yes, trust in me. And when we do that, a power is available. A spirit resides in us that is not anything we have on our own. And as great as that is, Paul is saying, you haven't seen anything yet. Because a day is coming when God and man will be together. And everything that that you love about this world, everything that you've seen Jesus change, every time you see the church look like that kingdom, that's gonna be every day. There will be a day when justice and peace are normal life. There will be a day when equality is actually experienced by all people. There will be a day when dignity and honor are given to every person because they bear the image of God. There will be a day when we truly love each other. And we don't get to live there yet. But we have a hope that it's on the way and it's guaranteed 
because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And he was faithful in delivering Jesus and he has given us his spirit so that we may see him at work in our lives anticipating the day when everything is run by Jesus. That is a hope the world does not possess. It is a hope that we have as members of the family. And until that day, we get to live as a marked, holy people, sealed, living lives that look different from the world around us with his spirit, knowing that all of the promises have been guaranteed to be fulfilled. If you have put your faith in Jesus, there is no question. You are adopted, you are sealed, you are in the family, you are waiting for the full inheritance, and I promise you, it is an amazing, big, glorious, rich inheritance. And the only thing that's required of us to get there is to say, yeah, Jesus, I want it. That's crazy, but that's really how it works. And if you have never said, yes, I want to join the family, you should. You should do it today. You don't have to, again, no, no hoops to jump through. No special words to sing, no, no, no magic chant. It's just, yes, Jesus, I want you. I want a different life. I want to know a hope that I don't have. And if you have said yes to Jesus, you need to take him at his word. That he is who he says he is. That he is alive in you. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And this world is better watch out because there is no power greater than what is made available to us in the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being a God who loved us way before anything that we could have ever done or not done Lord, thank you for being a God who loves us despite everything we have done. Jesus, thank you for being the rescuer who did what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for making life available to us. And Jesus, I wanna pray for anybody that has not said yes to that life. Lord, may they say yes today. Jesus, may we say yes every day. We need that life. We need that joy. We need that hope. Lord, would you make it clear to us? Would you make it real in our lives? May your kingdom come here like it is in heaven. We look forward to that day when everything will be made right. For now, Lord, may we be your people, holy and blameless, pointing this world to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.